0: Hey, New City, this is Nate Claiborne, and I'm here again today with Benjamin Kant uh, doing our CBR weekly recap podcast. How are we doing, Ben?
1: Hey, doing well, Nate. Looking forward to jumping into Job and Revelation.
0: That's right. Just like last week, although we finished up Revelation, so we'll be in a new section next week. But uh, let's start with Job. Where
1: are we we looking in Job today? Yeah, so in Job chapter 9, there's this really rich passage. Now, uh, the context is Job is essentially having a horizontal and a vertical argument at the same time, right? He's, right. he's arguing with his three, quote-unquote, friends, mm-hmm. um, while at the same time arguing with God, wrestling with God over whether or not this was just and deserved and right. And so in Job 9, there's this part where he is uh, really complaining with, what does it look like to take up God uh, as an opponent of sorts? And in verse 32, he says, For he is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself." So he's saying, God is not like a man where if I've got a an issue with a man, if I've got a problem with another person that I feel like they've wronged me in a certain way, mm. I could take him to court. I could take him to before a tribunal of sorts. I could go face to face with them. We could we could hash this out between the two of us. But when you're dealing with, quote unquote, the almighty, yeah, <laughs> it's a, a, a difficult problem. Um, and so one of the most powerful points of this is that he... You can see in Job's longing here, he says, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. And one of the most important ways to read the Old Testament and truly the whole Bible, um, a a way of reading scripture that goes back as far as uh, Jesus and the apostles, is that we want to see Christ in all of Scripture, mm-hmm. and in fact, you would be misreading Scripture to not see Him in all of Scripture. Yeah, uh, according to Jesus in Luke twenty-four or in John five, and and so here, this idea of a person that would lay His hand on us both, that would put His hand on the shoulder of Job and the shoulder of God, if you will, and and mediate between the two of them, so that they might, as He says, then I would have, then I would speak without fear of Him. And there's such a powerful picture here of Jesus as a mediator between. God and man yeah. uh, as the God-man in that role.
0: Yeah, and this would be one of the earliest references to that idea in some sense. I mean, we've we've got precedence for it in Genesis, and then even when we get to Moses, we get our, our kind of classic example of someone who mediates between two parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we talked about in our Job intro podcast, Job is written around the time of Abraham or maybe mm-hmm. before, or at least is set back in that time, whether it was written later or not. So this would be this first poetic idea of I need someone who can represent my interests, someone who represents God's
1: interests, who can settle this dispute because it's not a fair argument that's otherwise. Right. Yeah. Which which comes to the uniqueness of biblical religion, if you will. And that is that uh, we have a God you can wrestle with. Mm-hmm. We have a God that you can argue with, that you can take your complaints face-to-face, if you will, and and deal with him there. And the reason why that's a unique aspect of biblical faith is that uh, we've got a God who keeps covenant with his people, who makes a covenant, gives you the the kind of the quote unquote safe space, if you will, Mm -hmm. in which you can, you can vent and voice your complaints, a holy complaint before him about, Hey, I don't think that this is right. This should have been handled in a different way. And Jesus is the mediator of that covenant between God and man. And so because we are in Jesus, we have this opportunity to speak frankly uh, with God in a way that truly like uh, a Muslim would not be able to with Allah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that somebody, um, that a Buddhist would not be able to with the kind of uh, universal aspect of the deity that, that a Buddhist would, would ascribe to.
0: Right. Well, and even with Israel and their neighbors in the ancient world, it wasn't really a common thing. It was mm-hmm. a very countercultural um, idea. And it's, we kind of lose sight of that reading it now. 2000 years later, it just seems like, oh yeah, that's the way religion is. You can argue with God. And it's like, no, it's actually a new sort of development within Israelite theology that we see playing out in Job. We see it throughout the Psalms as well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and it carries on into the New Testament.
1: Yeah. So that that feeling of pain, of things are not the way they ought to be that Job is wrestling with here, uh, really finds its ultimate culmination, fulfillment, uh, place of hope is located in Revelation chapter twenty-one and twenty-two, yep. the place where we where we end the entire Bible. And so let's flip there because I want to talk about that together. Um, when you consider Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two as kind of this uh, capstone or this conclusion to the whole story of Scripture, Nate, what mm-hmm. what kind of leaps off the page? What sticks out to you?
0: Well, as I'm as I'm looking through it, I, I one thing that I wrestled with for a while was it right read off at the bat in twenty-one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time. First heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I was like, oh, man, there's not going to be an ocean in new heaven and new earth. <laughs> I surf, too. I'm not happy about that. Yeah. Uh, but then the more you you look through it, you realize we're in a very symbolic book. And mm-hmm. so it's not to say everything has to symbolize something, but it's to say, uh, even just thinking ecologically, the earth would not really function without <laughs> an ocean. Um, and so it, it brings us, in my mind, I've, I've sort of – been able to see how it ties all the way back to genesis one where mm-hmm. god creates and on day uh day four you've got sun moon and stars on day five then he fills the heavens with the birds and then he fills the oceans and it uses the word for uh, i think it's tanim mm. it's the word it's great sea creatures but really even sea monsters mm. Um, and it's just this place of the sea represents chaos in some ways, but these sea monsters are just completely under God's control mm-hmm. and he just puts them in their place. Um, and so I, it's looking ahead. It's this idea that chaos is no more Everything is ordered in the way it should be. And I think so much of, adulting and hmm. uh navigating this world is trying to keep chaos at bay because it's constantly creeping in in mm-hmm. different ways at different places at different times and so the idea that one thing we look forward to in the new heaven and the new earth is just everything is ordered and the way it should be there's
1: no creeping chaos that we have to keep an eye out for that's good yeah we think about the sea and how it shows up in the flood right and mm-hmm. it's this Terror that wreaks havoc on the earth, or Psalm forty-six even begins with picturing the sea as this source of, as you said, chaos and and disruption. Um, to your point about the sea being no more, one of the times, uh, one of the things that stuck with me this time reading through this passage is all of the things that will be quote no more. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I went through twenty-one and twenty-two and just listed uh, whatever. Came to my mind, or whatever I could see, and so here's just a list of the things that will be no more in the in the new heavens and new earth. Mm-hmm. The first heaven and earth will pass away. It says, uh, death, mourning, crying, pain, the sea, all that can kind of be summarized under this category of the former things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also payment. It's without payment and without price. Uh, temple, um, the sun, the moon, nighttime. But then we can't forget that there's. Not going to be any unclean things, anything that are detestable or false or accursed, which includes the cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolatry, and all liars, it says, right? Um, and, it, and it points to the fact that there will be no, no sun or anything that lights the earth except for the face of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so you know the part about the the particular types of sinners that will not be there might be disturbing to us but but if you think about it for a moment what would society be like if there were no liars yeah like imagine imagine marketplace Transactions. If nobody was trying to, you know, withhold information, mm-hmm. uh, or if people were not purposefully deceiving in advertisements, like this is actually a beautiful picture of the way that things ought to be. If there's no liars or murderers or sexually immoral or idolaters, this is actually the way the world ought to be. And so I was just, I was just struck by what it. Not just the things that will be there, like. Unbridled worship of the Lamb and and of the Father and of uh, and and the streets of gold, if you will, and all these other things, but but also the things that won't be there really are a picture of good news of of mm-hmm. this culmination of all of creation.
0: Yeah, and even even along those lines, I was struck by in twenty two, um, getting more descriptive about the city, um, and and I was just thinking, I was like, I don't know that John, as he's writing this, is necessarily thinking. I'm writing the last book of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? He's he's writing down what he's seeing, the visions given to him, uh, but just to have this is the last chapter of the Bible and the symmetry that it has with the first chapters, mm-hmm. where it's we've gone from humanity starting in a garden to now humanity finding its place in a garden-like city, mm-hmm. and just the descriptions here and thinking back to how they resonate with what was described in Eden and with. Um, Just the the way that it sort of brings everything to a conclusion, to a fulfillment really stuck out to me, just from a literary point of view.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, and that picture of moving from a garden... (sighs) to uh, a new city is where we get our name from as mm, a church, is yeah. that we want to see this new city that's represented in Revelation 21 and 22, we want to see it come to earth. It comes down from heaven, uh, from God out of heaven. And and so we can work and labor uh, to see some of these things realized, But but that really is our vision. And so we know that we can work towards that. But we also know that the very last verses here in Revelation 22 are our only hope, which is... Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us us all. Amen. Mm. And that's the conclusion to the whole Bible.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's a great place to wrap things up here as well. It was good being with you, Ben. And I look forward to talking again next week. Likewise. Thanks, Nate.